Welcome to the inaugural edition of De Stefano Talks. This is the newest podcast on the block hosted by myself, Stefan Carlin. On today's very first edition of the podcast, I sat down with BT Sports lead commentator for Scottish football, Rory Hamilton. We discussed his time at university studying sports science, what interested him in the media, his move to STV, his move from STV to Satanta, leaving Satanta and doing freelance work for companies such as Sky, and what led to his big move to BT Sport to be the voice of Scottish football for that broadcaster. Plus much, much more. Now before we get into today's episode, I do just need to let you know that you can get in touch with the podcast on Twitter at Talks, as well as on Instagram at Talks, and it's going to be a bit of a recurring theme here but you can do it on Facebook as well at Stefano Talks. And if you want to show me some love on Twitter or Instagram, the handle is at Mr. Stefan Carlin. Also, if you want to be a part of the show and you want to come on and, you know, tell your story on the podcast, then feel free to message me on any of my social medias. Or if you're one of those people that prefer to email, you can do so. The email address is daystefanotalks at outlook.com. And just one final thing, the podcast will be, uh, each ep- each brand new episode, sorry, will be uploaded every single month, round about the 9th, 10th or 11th of each month. I've done that because I've just got so many commitments at the moment and I don't want to spread myself too thinly by doing this on a weekly basis. I do just want to stress that I do have five episodes already recorded. So the first five episodes of the podcast are going to be out um, on the 9th, 10th or 11th of each month. And if we start to build some progress and we start to build some momentum, then, you know, this could turn into a full-time gig for me and podcasts could come out every single week. Um, But we will just need to see where that goes and take things slowly because I think rolling it out slowly may be the best thing to do at the moment. But I do just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who has followed the podcast uh, since the prelude. It means a lot to me um, and a lot of the support and a lot of the messages that I've had from people uh, have been really heartwarming. So a massive thank you. Now, without running this on for far too long and dragging it out like most podcasts, uh, episode starters do. Uh, without further ado, uh, this is De Stefano Talks, the inaugural episode with Rory Hamilton. Rory, how you doing? Very well, thank you. Thank you for uh, for getting me involved. It's uh, quite an honour to be what, the first guest on your podcast. Very first guest, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to come on, given the hectic schedule that we have with Scottish football and everything going on so no I appreciate that. Uh, what was the reason behind you wanting to get involved in like the media industry in like, particular football and rugby? I think growing up sport was always a, a really important part of of my youth teenage years I mean I, I played I, I think pretty much every day of the week mm. after school or in school Saturday Sunday I played some form of sport and I think when you're you're starting to consider what career path you're going to go down once you realise that it's not going to be as a professional player, as that that evaporates quite quickly. Then it's I I've always thought that you should you should want to do a career that leads to your passions because you're going to be involved in that for at least five days a week, mm. for you know for for however many hours a day it's going to be the major part of your life. So you need to find something that that you enjoy yeah. so at that stage I thought right sport what career path within that do I want to go down and to be honest originally I never I never really thought of 
broadcasting, I didn't really realise, and certainly commentary, I didn't really realise that those were jobs that were attainable. So maybe thought something like coaching or sports psychology, you know, those those types of areas of, of things. And when you were at university, you studied sports science. What did that entail? So that was um, a lot of things like biomechanics uh, that go into the you know, the movement within the the body, within sports. There was a sports psychology semester as well. Lots of training. There was a a lot of the lecturers were coaches and Mm -hmm. and going through training regimes and that sort of thing. So you never went to uni to be in the media then? No, I mean, in hindsight, it probably would have been quite a good idea. But at that stage, media and broadcasting, it wasn't something that that had come to me. It's it's funny, when I look back on it and I kind of think, I mean, why didn't I maybe... I'd have thought something like sports journalism would been something that that would have been quite an obvious thing to do i was i was decent enough at english at, at school and love sports but for some reason it never it never really came to me as something that i could have studied i was actually i was um i went out and i did a, a gap year in guyana where i was teaching english and science and taking the kids for sport and all that sort of thing and i still hadn't decided what i wanted to do and I, my mum had sent me a prospectus from from Edinburgh and said sports science this this looks quite fun I thought yeah that that does look great and it it was it was good fun to study but it's not something that once once it was finished that I wanted to continue down that path I'd I'd started to look more at broadcasting. So your first like official kind of job within the media was at STV um so how did that come around then from studying like sports science at the University of Edinburgh how did that opportunity arise to work at STV? That came a while I was at university and during the weekends I managed to get a contact with an STV dropped them an email and and they said you know we're looking for somebody to come in and just kind of do do very straightforward things at the weekend that would just take a little bit of the heat off them so I was taking all their um, manager interviews from the premier and the first division at the time just uploading them onto their website uh, and and that I think sort of built up a little bit of trust you know they, they get to realize who you are where your interests are and by the end I think it was it was maybe at the end of doing a year maybe a year and a half of that and they said oh look do you you know do you want to maybe come and work full-time with us and I, I jumped to that and that was working uh, on Scott Sport as a that was a kind of junior assistant producer at that stage so you go from sort of being the dog's body to actually cutting stuff that's that's then going to go on the telly and and working with highlights and and that sort of analysis yeah and did you when you started that like when you started the junior assistant producer did you find like that was like it was scary to start with because really you wanted to to do well or what was the feeling were you excited about it yeah I was excited I mean I think I kind of if I'm perfectly honest I was done with studying and exams I I, I didn't really fancy any more of the academic world Um, and I think a lot of that actually comes back to that year that I mentioned in Guyana because that I I had I I was pretty mature at school but but you had to do so much growing up then because you're living in a third world country. I, mm. I was already essentially working a full-time job as a teacher there. And I think a lot of what going to higher education is about, it's, it's probably, I would say, about 50% learning and 50% learning how to be an adult. Yeah. I And I lived with a lot of other 
uh, two other guys that had been in Guyana with me mm-hmm. and we all kind of felt that we'd done that bit of it and therefore the sort of studying side of things I, like, I just felt like I, it wasn't something that I wanted to keep on yeah. doing so so then going into work I was really excited because you're you're getting to work within football you're meeting people that you recognise from the TV like yeah. Jim Delahunt and Archie McPherson's on and and that was that was sort of the first real insight that I got to to broadcasting and then you start realizing that oh maybe this is something that by the time that I'm you're 36 which I am now that yeah. you you want to still be within it. No, I, I get that um especially from the the studying point of view. Um it's my pet hate. Uh, <laughs> I mean I, I enjoy it to an extent but when you've got to do history as well as journalism I mean you've got to do journalism but then you've got to do history alongside it is it's a bit boring after a while, um, but no, I get that. Obviously, you worked with STV. I've just spoke about that. So you went on to Satanta, is that right? Yeah, that that came about because um, Jim Delahunt moved from STV to Satanta, and I think he was he was maybe asked by Colin Davidson, who was the boss at Satanta at the time, if there was anybody you know they should look at bringing down because Satanta were expanding their operation at the time and they were they were needing to bring in so many more employees uh, and so Jim Jim recommended me which was you know that's really good recommendation to get so I, I sort of jumped ships and actually just went down the stairs because we were in the same building oh, Satanta really? were on the bottom floor of the STV building oh, really? uh, so I, I literally went down the stairs <laughs> to, <laughs> to my new job I mean that's not bad at least you'd, you know, you'd still know where to park when you go there in the morning so absolutely it's not yeah, bad not, not that I was ever given a parking space <laughs> <laughs> so was it commentary you did at Satanta um, no and no? I, I, I mentioned it a couple of times that that was maybe something I wanted to do because I think towards the end at STV I'd mentioned it and they sort of gave me a like a dummy run yeah. uh, it was at Easter Road and Archie McPherson was doing the main he was doing the actual commentary that was going to be broadcast yeah. and then I was given a microphone down the other end of the gantry just uh, and then just you know listen back to it see how you do yeah because uh, it might be something that we'll use in the future um so that, that, that was my my first real taste of it the first real time when I thought oh that that might be something that I could do and I, I used to um I would I would just tape games at home and then record my voice onto them uh, just mute because you can separate the crowd effects and the live commentary that was yeah. on it but I would just I would just have a go and, and just see if you can actually do it um but at Satanta it was much more there was similar maybe a little bit more advanced production role that I was doing mm-hmm. so the same cutting match edits but they had a lot more live football there wasn't I think the only live football that I did at STV was Champions League at the time I was going to say that yeah um, but because I was quite new to it didn't really get a senior role within that Mm. but by the time I got to Satanta and they were doing live football all football and rugby all the time every weekend I mean it was it was amazing the amount of they had they had maybe like there would be five German games and four Portuguese and then there'd be French at night so you'd do a lot of those European games that were just coming in off satellite and you'd You'd be turning them round. You'd have a commentator doing it, uh, and you'd be cutting up analysis for half time and and things like that. Yeah. And then eventually got on to the at the time the SPL games, which you were doing as a as a live OB, um, and sort of progressed up to being the, the as a VT coordinator. So essentially, you're the guy that is selecting the replays that are that are going out you've got a bunch of guys uh, on the EVS machines in front of you and they've all got certain angles going mm-hmm. into their machines they shout when they've got the right angle and you then 
put that to line which goes to air. It, it's, it's quite fun. It's a really, um, it's a stressful but, but really good fun environment. It's a great bunch of guys that are all... It's pretty much all the same ops that are that are still on the games for Sky and BT now. All right, now that's that's interesting because there's obviously there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the the scenes that a Sunday at home doesn't think about because as you're doing when you're at home, you're seeing a replay coming up and you're like, like that's it, but you don't realise how much like kind of work goes into it. So now that's that's a really interesting insight. So what was it like when you got the opportunity then to commentate your first match? What what was your feeling before that? So the very first game that I did for broadcast, um, it wasn't a live game. It was being cut up for <clears throat> for highlights. So you do know that if you make any sort of mistake, it's not it's not great, but they can sort it out in an edit and probably get you to revoice it. Yeah. Which I, I think the only thing they 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 listened back to it the next day, and I think the only thing he said oh, you did make a mistake, and I was like, well. I, I make a mistake in every game that I do. But, but I think it was that I said afternoon instead of evening. So I was like, right, I'll take that. That's okay. But yeah, I was definitely nervous. It kind of came about um, uh, quite strangely because it was it was actually once Satanta um, you know, went away from broadcasting in Scotland. Yeah. Um, and I was working on STV Rugby and it was this. It was a lot of the same guys that had been at Satanta, and they'd obviously then picked up this show for STV. Yeah. Uh, and we'd done a couple of weeks of it, and sort of did did a review of how everything had gone. It was just cutting up highlights. Yeah. Um, and they were saying like the main criticism that we're getting is it's Irish, Welsh, and Scottish teams, and on the games we've got Irish commentary and Welsh commentary. Yeah. And there's no Scottish, and I I kind of joked in the meeting. Well, I'll I'll give it a bash, <laughs> and nothing was made of it until I was driving down. I think it was on the Thursday before the game on the Friday, uh, which was Edinburgh against Connacht, and and Colin Davidson, uh, who I mentioned before, was he was running this this program, and he said, well, you know, you mentioned about doing that. You're on. Friday, <laughs> Friday, you're doing the Edinburgh game. It's like, oh, right, brilliant. And then, then you just it just sort of dawns on you a little bit uh, that you're that you're you're doing the commentary on it. But it it went pretty well. I mean, there were tons and tons of tries. I think Edinburgh's got a it was like a record score. They put sixty yeah. odd points on Connacht, so there there was plenty of things to to keep you entertained. It's sometimes the the difficult games are the nil nils and and the the ones where they're there really isn't anything going on. So when Derek Ray um, left BT, you kind of stepped into some pretty big shoes. You kind of had to fill because he'd done that since I think when BT started in 2013, Derek had been there. How did that like come about, like getting to work for BT and what have been some of your most memorable moments of working there? Yeah, that's a, that's a big question. Um, so after after Satanta, there was, there was about seven years where I was freelance. Almost all of that, I think maybe apart from year one, uh, I was I was working with Sky as my main employer, but I was still, I was on a freelance basis. Uh, so I'd done, I'd done quite a lot of games for Sky, particularly uh, in the early, like maybe like year, year four or something mm-hmm. for working with them uh, and did, did loads of games. And then it sort of, they had a lot of changeovers of of the people that were running Scottish football mm-hmm. as as the main producer, so it was then difficult to be given an opportunity as as the sort of second man to to um, Ian Crocker. Yeah. So it would only really be if they got a, a double header in the cups and and things like that. But I would do 
Sky Sports News yeah. every weekend, Gillette Soccer Saturday, and then through the weeks it would be Sports News, yeah. which was really cool. Is that that's a that's a a really great way to sort of learn your way in the industry. And then I was picking up commentaries here and there, but obviously you want you want the ones that are the you know the big ones on on TV, yeah. which which I got I I got games with Sky, so that that gave you the the sort of grounding for being able to be trusted to to do live games on TV, yeah. which I guess then uh, BT saw as, as as somebody that they could then approach. And I've I've known Grant Phillips, who who runs the Sunset and Vine operation, yeah. who who are contracted to do the games for BT. Um, I'd worked with him at Satanta. Yeah. So all the, a lot of the, the the good people within the industry generally stayed in it yeah you know the one the ones that were interested in making a career out of it they they stayed within the industry and in scotland yeah it's a small industry the 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 guy that sort of runs or he's the main director for sky now is yeah. davy carton and he was at satanta as well i mean yeah. the, the, it's, it's a lot of the same people that yeah, end yeah. up still working in it um so yeah went for the interview with with uh, martin keegan and grant phillips and few few days later was offered the job uh and it, i mean absolute no-brainer to take that because I, yeah. I i was kind of I'd, I'd done i think seven years of freelance and i was working you know you your sort of midweek would be quite quiet yeah and then it would ramp up a little bit thursday friday you'd uh, you know you'd maybe get a sky sports news shift something like that yeah and then saturday would be like I've done four shifts on a Saturday where you're just, you're, and week in, week out, it was three. It was always three. Yeah. But you, they were all um, dependent upon the other. Yeah. So if you were half an hour late at one, then the next one you were late for and you had to apologize. And therefore you were then an hour late for the third one. And yeah. you were just chasing your tail. And I'd, I'd sort of decided at that time, myself and my, my girlfriend's from uh, New York yeah. and we'd we hadn't booked any flights but we'd kind of decided that we were we were going to go and live in Canada and then Grant Phillips called uh, to, to offer me the BT job and that was one that I, I wasn't going to pass up that's that's way too good an opportunity that's like when you when you are a commentator to get a, a full-time commentator job yeah that you don't then need to monday to friday be really chasing work and phoning up people and seeing what's available yeah you know you've got a solid block of work that's top level yeah uh you know you're not you're not gonna ever turn that down so it was an, an absolute no-brainer to to try and fill Derek's shoes, which was part of your original question, you can't. <laughs> you you can't do it. You and that's a a piece of advice that I I got very early on from um, uh, Martin Tyler at Sky. Yeah, who was fortunate enough to be given his number, and 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 he said straight away, it's like just be your own man. Yeah, don't take on too much advice. Do what you do. You you'll be given an opportunity because you're good. Be you. If you yeah. try and if you try and copy Bill McLaren, Derek Ray, you'll fail because they're the best at what they do. You need to form your own style yeah. and allow your own personality to do that. 
And do you feel like you've you've been able to do that then, like on BT, for example? You, I think, one of your most probably memorable lines, well, that I, I I think of was when Callum McGregor scored against Zenit. Um, like your commentary when you you screamed his name was something different to what like I've I've heard like from previous commentators. So do you think that like, you've been able to like bring your own style to the to? Like, to yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good question. It, it's. It's probably something that um, that you don't consciously think about. Mm-hmm. I think because like, fu- like fundamentally, I'm a football fan, and I'm very very passionate about it. When I when I was working at Sky, uh, the one of the first things I realised was because I was work I was, I was flat out. I was probably doing ten to twelve shifts a week. So you're just you're absolutely hammering yourself, and I thought I I need I'm I'm forgetting how I'm 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 not enjoying my football anymore. I wasn't going home and watching football because your whole working life was, you were just covering yeah. football, and I was stopping my enjoyment of football. Uh, I've always gone to Scotland games home and away, and I'd missed a couple. It was actually the Liechtenstein game when Stephen McManus scored in like the ninety seventh minute to win it, and I'd taken the shift working yeah. because I thought, well, they'll win Easy. three four nil, and and then I thought they scored in the ninety seventh minute, and you get that that moment because football is all about those moments. Yeah, I, I, like I've missed that because I'm sitting in a truck counting passes and corners, and <laughs> I was doing stats on the on the game. And I thought I missed that a game that. I would have been in the stand and I'd have been going wild at that. Yeah. So from then on, I've always said, like, right, Scotland games, unless, unless I was given a major opportunity to commentate on them, yeah. Scotland games, I'm there as a fan and, and I've always gone gone away and, and gone to all the games at Hamden as well. You say that you don't consciously think of it. So when um, Chris Julian, when he scored against Lazio, when you infamous line of um, the Glaswegian Coliseum erupts, did that just come to you instantaneously then, yeah? No, but it wasn't scripted as such. Like it was, it, it's not that you you sit, you know, in the in the days beforehand and write downloads of things of oh, all oh, right, that that might be quite fun to say. Yeah, I would I would say a lot of the time before I go to bed because I didn't actually finish. I I, I kind of lost my way with went with your last answer about like the the sort of style of your commentary and I was going yeah. on about you know. I think my style is probably that I'm, I'm passionate about it. And if if you then if you find the way what what the game means to the viewers because somebody every Everyone watching it is, has a invested interest in it. Yeah. It's that you try and become that for both teams because you can't be one. Yeah, of course. It's maybe a little bit different for the European games. So if you take the Chris Julian one, and if I do Rangers in the next round against Bayer Leverkusen, I'm not not sure. You know, you're you've got you, you're you're going to be behind the Scottish team. Yeah, of course. Of course, that naturally, whatever Scottish team is playing in Europe. I want them to win, and your whole audience is Scottish, so you can you can be a little bit more partisan. Maybe not quite not quite to the levels of of kind of club TV, where they know their their entire audience is is one sided, and so you can play to that. So for the Chris Julian one, as the game was going on, I think it was at the equaliser, uh, maybe just before, and you felt you felt Celtic were getting back into this, and you're like, this might happen, and uh, and I, I I wrote it down on my page because I just thought, right, well, Rome, Glasgow. And I wrote down Glasgow Coliseum and just thought, well, they scored the. I did. I wrote that before the equaliser, but then I thought it's it's not big enough 
for for it to be on the equalising goal that's not a big enough moment basically you need a, an 89th minute winner that pretty much kills the game I mean it, that could have been ruined by if it wasn't for Fraser Forster and his he made an amazing save <laughs> in stoppage that. time but as the game develops you've got so much going on Yeah. and Glasgow I thought well Oh no! That could be. Glaswegian Coliseum is a closer to a rhyme. Probably works better than Glasgow Coliseum. The night before a game, that's what's in your head. Yeah, is the game. How's it gonna go? And and a lot of the time, like I'll I'll probably go to sleep thinking, oh, what if they're, oh, what about a last minute goal? I wonder if it if it's Lee Griffiths. I wonder, wonder what that would mean. And and you're not necessarily thinking of lines, but you're just you're playing out various scenarios yeah. in your head. And you're like, I wonder what I'll say then. You're not thinking exactly what I'm going to say but I wonder what what the mouth will actually come out with at that point yeah no I I, I get that totally because I I remember watching just quickly um, I remember watching the Liverpool Real Madrid final um, in 2018 the Champions League and when obviously Lorius Carius he gave the goal to Benzema and then Liverpool equalised and you were thinking right it's tight I think oh Liverpool will go on and win this and then all of a sudden Gareth Bale came on and the overhead kick that he did, I'm just watching it and I just completely lost my mind. I was like, oh my, ran about my living room. I'm not yeah. a fan of Liverpool, I'm yeah. not a fan of Real Madrid, but I just went completely mental the, the fact he'd scored that kind of goal in a Champions League final. So I can see where the, the emotional yeah. side comes into it. Because that's the thing, you can't, you can't script football, you can't script live football because yeah. you've got no idea what's going to happen. And I've, I've heard them in the past, You can, if you're a commentator or a, a, you know any sort of a broadcast, you can tell a scripted goal line a mile off. It's really, really obvious. There are there are other aspects which which I do script, like the, the bits where the teams come out, yeah. and I spend quite a lot of time trying to get that right. I usually leave it as late as possible up till kickoff to get that right. And then the uh, you know for trophy lifts and things like that, because they're on you for... You know, maybe, maybe five, seven, eight minutes, that sort of thing. So you, you you often have like, even before the game. So the did the, well, I've done a few cup finals now for BT, but did the the Celtic Rangers one in December. Yeah. Before the game kicked off, I did a paragraph on each team if they win, yeah. whoever wins. Like so, I, so I've got a paragraph on how magical a day this is for Rangers to to break that trophy drought yeah but never obviously never got to say it and then i've got the one on celtic they lifted the trophy so you you can you obviously leave it fairly open because you don't know what's going to happen in the game yeah but that's some of some of those lines come from there yeah that 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 are pre-scripted but i would say in game nah Nah. it's i don't think it's fair on the game because you've got to you've got to live off the players the fans and your emotions at the time yeah no, definitely. Um, I think that's one of the great things about football is that it, you're very much in the moment of what you can say. Um, so no, definitely. Was there any memorable game? Obviously, you've commentated on quite a few this season in Europe, particular, particularly. Is there any of this season that stuck out in your mind as being the best game that you think you've commentated on? Rome, La- Lazio away with Celtic was. That was incredible because that was another one, just like the the Julian one. I mean, Celtic Celtic Park is something special for European nights. So in that sense, the atmosphere for the home game, I mean that that was like that was like the Champions League games under Martin O'Neill. That's what that night felt like. But winning away in Italy, the Celtic winning in Italy for the first ever time on Italian soil, and the way that they did it against a team, you know, who are now 
challenging for Serie A. They're a, they're a good side and they went full strength, which maybe t like Leipzig didn't the year before, like yeah. Timo Werner, guys like that didn't play. So maybe there was a, you know, there's a slight mark against that one. But Lazio, full strength and one of the top teams in the top league in Europe or one of the top leagues in Europe. And to go over there and it, like the Julian goal for Encham yeah. in the 94th minute, that's when you can go big on a line because... The game's done. Yeah. Like there's no coming back in the ninety fourth minute. That's yeah. that's it. So I mean Chris went for it as well. <laughs> I know. I remember I was on my phone after the game, I came out of the stadium and sitting in that some Italian cafe, get try to get something to eat after all that world went down motion, all of a sudden you hear Chris sitting going, Ah it was just mental. And I, I think people got upset at him on Twitter for that, but it's just a sheer release of emotion. I just Yeah, yeah. It was, he, Brilliant. That, that that it was really cool because I got I got a lot of sort of interaction with with people after that, yeah. and a lot of it was Celtic fans waking up the next morning. We got the team flight home, yeah, and Celtic fans waking up the next morning probably with a sore head, yeah. um, and saying, "Oh, you know, we're just we're lying in our beds, like four of us in the room, and we just keep playing the goal on repeat yeah. and just saying, you know, how much they enjoyed." Chris and my commentary over it and it, all I'm thinking is like I've been that guy lying in my bed and, and watching back a, if Scotland had been fortunate enough to score yeah. you know on in some Eastern European city yeah. you know and people went oh yeah right well, let's play the goal from last night and just like, the emotion after as well when you when you then hear the commentator's voice over Aye. it is, is it just it brings it all back to you what that moment meant it was mental because um, I woke up the next day um, as you say I did have a wee bit of a sore head um, in some hostel in Rome and um, me and my mates all of a sudden all four days five days are all on our phones and all you hear is the commentary at different points in it and it's just we're all watching it because just disbelief I, I, I genuinely believe that's the best a week European game that I've been to in terms of Celtic. I've been to the Alliance when Bayern Mulders. Um I've been to Gladbach when Callum McGregor missed a sitter. So yeah, it was probably one of the, the greatest, probably the greatest uh, European away games that I've been to for Celtic. There's, there's something really special about winning away. Particularly, you know, if you can if you can if you can just smash it at the end with a goal like that, we smash and grab. I mean, the game wasn't necessarily that, but when you're just scoring in the ninety fourth minute, there's there is nothing like winning away. It's it's so good. What's it like to have Chris Sutton on commentary? Yeah, he's great. He, he keeps you on your toes. You yeah. gotta be you gotta be careful. You don't want to give him a, give him an easy in. Um, Definitely not. Because he'll he'll pick you up on any mistake. There's there's sometimes, and I get really I get conscious if I'm say doing you get the the in game promos and things like that. Yeah. Sometimes you need to read like a script about you know where how much the boxing's going to cost, what channels, because it's all these legal things that you've got to do. Yeah. And I'm trying to rattle it off as quickly as I can because I know that the game's going on. Yeah. And every time that I do it, Chris is always it, like I'll just see him look at me, and I'm just like he's. Like, am I saying something wrong? Is yeah. he trying to wind me up here? <laughs> Chris Sutton, he's, uh, he's some man. I think BT Sports coverage with... So he's, I think he's one of the, the the staples of BT Sports coverage in Scotland just for the, the phenomenal arguments that he seems to have with other pundits. And it's just it's just phenomenal for from a personal point of view, yeah. BT Sport. He's, he's great to work with. I mean, he's, he's a 
he's a top pro because Chris must do at least six games a week. Yeah. And every every one that he turns up for, he's as prepped as as everyone else. He really, I mean, he'll go from like Burnley against West Brom or something to Motherwell against Hamilton. Yeah. And and will be as clued up as everyone yeah. and and I, I realised that quite early on that I therefore needed to be as well because I think the first game I did was Air Kilmarnock and he and he was asking he was sort of quizzing me on the Air team <laughs> and I realised that he wasn't he wasn't asking he was asking it in a way that sounded like because he wanted to know the answer yeah. but it was actually that he wanted to make sure that I knew the answer yeah so, nah, that's, I think that's quite good yeah. um, in a way because yeah. he's, he's in a way he's helping you but um, yeah oh no totally because now now I make sure that I turn up as, yeah. as prepared as I possibly can be BT Sport have pretty much lost all the rights to Scottish football in 2018 uh, fans have said that they will miss BT because of their innovative style of coverage would you say that it's fair to say that BT have, have changed the way in which football coverage in Scotland has has been done over the last maybe four five years yeah, it's an interesting way to put it I think I think they have they've changed it, but only within their own platform, mm. because it's it's not everyone's cup of tea, maybe, mm. um, and it's and by that I mean every broadcaster's cup of tea who yeah. who all have their own stylistic viewpoint of the way that they want to get it across. So, mm. you know, yeah, it, it they've always wanted to do something a little bit different because we don't necessarily. You know, we we don't get in the league the Celtic Rangers games because it's it's not part of the deal. Mm-hmm. We we can't do games at at Celtic Park and Ibrox in the league. Um, so sometimes you need to be a little bit creative in in the way that you do things differently. And and Grant Phillips put together the team for Sunset and Vine and BT to yeah just to maybe make it stand out a bit and yeah. and make it fun it like it's it's a really good relaxed atmosphere where everybody's comfortable with their position and with all those that are around them it's it's a really good environment to yeah. be a part of Scottish football extra especially when that goes on just I think it's half an hour before the the big build up coverage I feel like it's just five guys in a pub having a mm. conversation about what's going on I just think it's a, it's a great way to do it but also the wee um, I think it was the start of the 2018-19 season when um, Daryl Curry, Michael Stewart, Stephen Cragen and Chris Sutton were, they were outside, I'm trying to remember what stadium it was but it was, it was a skit, it was just, it was really really funny Michael Stewart he hits out with the line of Aberdeen bet the fifth best team in the world talking about Burnley and it was just, it was something funny, it was something new and it was something that I don't think we've we've seen in Scottish football. I think um, I think there is that, um, we all take football seriously. I yeah. include, I, I, mean, I, I mean, all of us in that BT group because we're all passionate about football, we love it. But it, it sometimes gets taken too seriously or we're not wanting to take ourselves too seriously we can have a bit of a laugh and a, a joke about it when obviously when the when the game starts it's about the game but you still get light-hearted moments we're always quite keen to put them out like and i think that game that you're talking about i think it was at east fife i think i think it was wraith rovers hearts in the league cup yeah i think and they played it at east fife and i think in the same game or maybe it was this season and we we're at the same ground at bayview and uh 
you, know, you get the fans who can't get into the ground and there's a wall mm-hmm. just before just before it goes out into the Firth of Forth. Yeah. And and there's a bunch of fans standing up there and, and you know, like one of the you know, a shot went over the top of the and then so the fans were down nicking the ball and then you you had the kids chucking the ball between them and then one of them just grabbed it and chucked it into, <laughs> into the sea yeah. behind them. And, and like and so that's all that's recorded, but we were like, yeah right, well no, we'll turn that around and put that out. Where yeah. that, maybe not everyone would want to do that, but I think that and particularly maybe with those League Cup games and the group stages, you're like, oh, let's you know, let's make this a bit lighthearted. It's an entertainment industry at the end yeah. of the day. No, definitely. Um, it's definitely it's been something new. And just from a personal point of view, I'd like to see the sort of blueprint kind of followed by the, you know, the I think it's guy that take the future rights um, of Scottish football. It'd be nice to, to see that kind of continue. It's obviously before a game. How how long would you spend your time like researching or prepping before like a live match? Yeah, I mean, it's I would say it's probably uh, it's an ongoing process because yeah. my interest is in football anyway so you know like okay this week's probably not not a good one because I've got a lot of midweek games as well but you know let's say a, a, a usual week when you've maybe done a game on a Saturday or a Sunday Monday and Tuesday my natural process is to be interested in reading about football and that therefore becomes part of your prep work for the game the next Friday but to the actual hard copy written stuff i would say i probably start maybe a day and a half before the game yeah so say if they say we've got a game on a friday night we quite like a friday night game under the lights is always good so i would maybe start thursday morning i'll we get a stats pack that's like this thick yeah. <laughs> uh, and and then you just need to condense it into everyone has different ways of doing it some can read it and they've got it i i'm fairly meticulous with it because my memory's not brilliant so i I get things down on paper. I make little cards for every player that I can then move about once I've got the team. Yeah, I'd say yeah, probably a, a probably a day of that is is condensing the stats pack, and then reading articles and my own notes from previous games yeah. and things, and then maybe another half day just just kind of trying to compose that into my general thoughts about the game and and maybe what I'm going to be thinking about saying in that original script at the top when the teams are coming out and things like that do you ever get nervous like before a big game obviously you've done Europe you've done the old firm do you get like a sense of nervousness around doing those games it's never been something I think maybe in the very very first at the start it's maybe you would say nerves and you see the you know once you get the cue Q commentator, you know, that is maybe a little bit of a daunting thing. Now I'm quite excited, you know, once because Daryl throws to me when the teams are in the tunnel. So I'm already like, all right, you're, you're starting to see any interactions between you. It's usually Scott Brown just staring straight ahead. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the game because you prep for however many days and you're up for it. Like up on the gantry, you're like, right, I'm, I'm ready to go here. Yeah, so I, I would say it's not necessary. I wouldn't say it's nerves, even even for a big game. Like, yeah. I'm I'm just quite excited. Like, I want to get into the game. You maybe want to get that first five minutes until kickoff out the way and make sure that you're, you're reading properly and all that sort of thing, yeah. which occasionally make a stumble over a word. And you're just like, let's get on. Once the game kicks off, then no, I, wouldn't, I, I would say that's just right. This this is this is now what I'm paid to do. It's to try and summarise what the moments mean and to give a story of of 
of all the things that the people at home can't experience. Okay, they can turn their volume up, but there's nothing like being in a stadium. You can't experience that atmosphere. Have you ever been pulled up by a player or a manager for something you've maybe said on commentary or anything like that? Once, yes. And he was very good about it. But I didn't even realise that I made a mistake. Yeah, I won't say who it was. But a manager pulled me up about something that I'd said uh, because... I'd been given some information from, I think it was actually a kit man. Yeah. Uh, And I didn't really think anything of it. It was something about his formation. And the kit man had said they'd maybe responded to how the other team had set up. Once they'd seen their team, they'd maybe made a slight alteration to which, yeah, it sort of filtered down to the (laughs) manager and he... I ended, I ended up just, I, I got his number and I phoned him and I said, look, I, I'm sorry, I didn't think anything of it. I, I'd been told this. I didn't think it was anything major at the time. Uh, Apologise. Next time, I'll I'll ask you yeah. rather than a coach. I was kind of scrambling at the, it was at the start of a game and it was quite early on. And it's the commentator's job to to try to get the formation. Not many managers are actually willing to, to give it to you. Yeah. But I was, so I was trying my best. Now, now we generally work amongst the team and, and just just see because not not that many managers are willing to divulge exactly how they're setting up and yeah. a lot of them are very fluid as well that they'll be playing a different different formation when they've got the ball than when they're they without don't. the ball so yeah it was sorted out no no that's good and and I, and and I have spoken to him many times since and he's he's fine with it it's, he's it's forgiven forgotten you. and yeah forgiven no, <laughs> good stuff back to the on air kind of stuff have you ever made a big mistake where you're like ah oh, I wish maybe I hadn't said that or I got that wrong type of thing or even like a pronunciation of a certain player's name something like that yeah yeah pronunciations are an interesting one I I'll I'll touch on that first so pronunciations I've always thought that you should you should make a pronunciation as close to how the player says their name without being a bit ridiculous and saying it in you know a foreign accent which would be exactly how they say it but if I take what their name is when how they say it yeah. and say it in my accent as close to what theirs is then I think that is is how it should be other commentators disagree some viewers disagree that you know David should be David whether he's from England or Paris I think that you know like David Ginola is the sort of classic or yeah. um, James Rodriguez I think it's James not James. Yeah, of course I'm the same. So I I, I spent quite a lot of time on that, particularly for the European games um, and doing a lot of YouTube searches of trying to find like some Serbian commentary of a certain player's name. And it actually, like, I'm, I'm quite interested in language anyway, but yeah. uh, it actually, it teaches you how to learn. Yeah. Like I, I find when I, when I, I love travelling and when I go to places and, you know, like somebody will say, oh, how do you, What's that? Or they'll say a town's name or something, and I'll I'll say no. I think I think it's this. Like I think you say it this way because you know that you know a Croatian player if he's got a if it's I C at the end it's itch, and if it's E C it's it's yeah. Like just just little things like that. Is there any particular player's name that you have struggled to pronounce, or you you actually like to pronounce their name? That's a good question. I, I know that um, this sort of bugged me, and we had a good conversation, good chat. It was really early on. We did Hibs Ross County in the League Cup. It was one of my first games, and remember Alex Schalk that played at Ross County, Dutch yeah. guy. He was a good player as well. He had a good record. The correct pronunciation on his name is Skalik, but he'd been in the league for two, three years, and everyone. Had 
just called him Schalk. So that kind of, like, you should call him Schalk. And I think we did for one game. And by the second game, we were just like, no, we need to go back to Schalk because everyone knows him as Schalk. So that's probably one where we, we just, uh, we conceded a little bit on that one. Well, do then, is I'll ask you the question because it's been bugging me because there's a certain commentator that did the Scottish Cup final last year. Not you. Um... <laughs> And he called him Odson Eduard. And I, I don't know, maybe if I'm just mishearing it or not, but is it Eduard? Do you pronounce it as Eduard or Eduard? Because the way I'm hearing it from him and how I've heard it from previous games, it's, he says Eduard. Is it? Is it definitely Eduard? I call him Eduard. Eduard, like, do you? Yeah, like the, like the D is very, very soft. Yeah. Like, like sometimes you, you'll end up saying it, Eduard. Like it's... Um, because uh, I don't think the U, I don't think the U is separate. Like I think then it would have an accent on it if if it was. But I don't know. Just whenever I seen his name and when he you know first started for Celtic, I was like, that's Eduard. And then I heard it wasn't you because it was I heard it on the the Scottish Cup YouTube channel. His name said it, so it wasn't Premier. Um, and he went Eduard, and I was like. It bugged me because I was like, I don't think it is, but yeah. no, that's. I just wanted to pick that up. I, I actually, somebody tweeted me um, after Saturday's game, uh, saying that so Ollie Bazanic got the goal, and he said, I I always thought it was Bazanic, and then somebody told me to change it to Itch Bazanic, and when you look at the name, it's you know it's obviously of Eastern European descent. Yeah. It should be Bazanic, but. He's he's Australian, and they've maybe just tweaked it a bit. So it's these are the these are the processes that I go through all the time. Whenever yeah. anyone signs that's maybe got a name that's not McDonald or Smith or whatever, yeah. uh, and found a YouTube link yeah. very early on with when Bazanic signed, and it's him standing in front doing a Q and A, and he starts out by going, "Hi, I'm Oliver Bazanic," and I went right. Bang! That, that's the <laughs> Got one. you. And there's one for Donis Avdi that's just signed for Hearts as well, but he doesn't really play either yeah. as well. But so there's quite a few of them that have. As, if they say their name, I'm like, brilliant. That's that's exactly what I need. It's the same with Oliver uh, Olivier and Cham, but people call him Nietzsche, and I'm like, that was very. That was right at the start, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, how? I, I'm just. I'm like, how do people see that as Nietzsche? I I don't know. I just. I think. Well, I think that's because when he came in. And he said, "Oh, like the end, silent." Yeah. So, some people go with Cham. Yeah. I give a very, <laughs> I give a very slight and yeah, like Cham. Like it's very, very it's sort of subtle because I think that I, d- I don't think the N is subtle, but he wanted people to stop saying Nietzsche. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I can see why. <laughs> Moving on to more like this season, and just to get your general thoughts on you know Scottish football and how it's been. Scottish teams in Europe um, have done incredibly well this season until Thursday, if you count Celtic, um, and their performance against Copenhagen. You said Rome was your favourite, you know, your moment to commentate on, but. What do you make of the performance of both Celtic and Rangers to to get as far as Celtic did and as far as Rangers have gotten? Brilliant. Um, I think that I I think that Celtic should be aiming higher in Europe. I don't think that they should settle for it. I don't think they are settling for for getting knocked out in the last thirty two. But, mm. but I mean, what a chance to get to get through the group was was good. But I don't think they should be getting overexcited about it. Like I thought, Lazio would win the group, and they sh- Lazio, when you look at the 
all the teams involved, they should win the group yeah, because they're a top team in Italy. Then I thought Celtic would probably be fighting with Wren for second spot. Cluj surprised everyone. But yeah, I, I, th I thought Celtic would qualify in second from that group. To qualify first and after four games, no Scottish club's done that before, yeah. was was fantastic. And then they get a good draw, I think, uh. on paper. Everyone looked at that and thought, good draw. Everyone looked at the first leg and thought, one all coming back to Celtic Park should be fine. I, I had a... I had a bit of a feeling just not I didn't feel that they were going to get knocked out but I felt there was too much confidence maybe complacency not necessarily from mm -hmm. the players but maybe complacency in the media maybe amongst fans on Thursday night that they thought uh, at home mm -hmm. at Celtic Park big night that that'll be enough to get them through and I think I think we'd seen enough in the second half in Copenhagen that that they they could overrun Celtic yeah. if if they turn up uh, but we'd seen enough in the first half that Celtic Celtic could have finished that tie in the first half an hour and that yeah no it could have been over. So I think that's a I think that's a massive blow for Celtic going out. I I think that Celtic a lot of Celtic fans are sort of split on it between domestic success and European success. I'm I'm in the European camp. I think that that is a better judging ground of where they are as a club mm -hmm. because they are the, they have more power. They have the best resources in Scotland, mm -hmm. therefore I feel like I feel like they should be winning the league. Yeah. Um, Europe, you've got level playing fields, you've got teams that you should beat, and you've got teams that you, or teams that you shouldn't, but that you can, mm -hmm. and then you've got teams that you you simply can't, which is a lot of the, you know, the big Champions League teams. Yeah. That's where I I feel Celtic should be looking for their judgment, but I mean others others think. Look, this is nine in a row season. Yeah. Going for ten. That's that's fair enough. I mean, I see both sides of it. I, you know, I'm I'm in the European camp. Uh for me it's I, I think Celtic should have beaten Copenhagen in the first leg. It was a draw. You you take that back to Celtic part, that's fine. They should have beaten them in the second leg. You you can argue about Callum McGregor's goal, whether it should have been allowed or disallowed. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because Celtic should still have kicked on from that. But for me, that's where you judge. That's where you have to judge Celtic because, with all due respect to these teams in Scotland, Celtic it's a gaping chasm between Celtic and the rest of the league. Maybe not so much Rangers. Maybe Rangers have closed that gap a, a little. <laughs> I mean, so twelve points clear, but yeah. I think Rangers have improved. Well, well, Rangers, because because you asked initially about Rangers in Europe, mm -hmm. and Rangers this season in the league, even though they've they've hit poor form at the moment um, since the break, they're still better off than at the same stage last season. Steven Gerrard has absolutely he's he's overhauled the operations within the football department at the club. Mm -hmm. They've got to a cup final, which they never got to last season. Scottish Cup, that's a that's a bitter blow for them on Saturday, losing yeah. to losing to Hearts. But that's the same stage that they got to last season when they were knocked out in a replay against Aberdeen. Yeah. They are better off in the league than they were points wise. Yeah. And they've even even Rangers you know, going through four qualifiers, eight games, mm -hmm. they they easily got to the group stages, took a good scalp in Mitchelland in the qualifiers, got to the groups. Tough group. I I thought looking at that, uh, I, I thought they would give it a go. I thought they would maybe finish third mm -hmm. in the group. They finished second yeah. behind Porto and then got a tough draw. And I, I think knocking out Braga is 
phenomenal. Great result. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant result. Uh, it's going to be tough against Bayer Leverkusen. Um, but, you know, Ibrox on big European nights, like Celtic Park on European nights, can do special things like it did when 2-0 down against Braga. Yeah. And you think the tie's gone. I remember seeing the highlights of that game and I remember seeing the live scores and you're like, oh, Braga 2-0, well, that'll be hard for... That'd be hard for any team to come back from, but... I mean, Rangers gave it a go. I think they just threw caution to the wind. Well, we've got nothing else to lose. And I think Braga got confident when they were 2-0 up and it, they let it slip. But then to go to, you know, Portugal on Wednesday to defend how they defended and then just counter-attack and score was... I think I think it was definitely, you know, the way Gerard would have wanted it, it maybe, to be. It maybe suits them a wee bit more than the domestic stuff. And I saw Michael Beale had, had done an article recently... Mm. About that, uh, one of the one of Gerard's coaching staff, um, and he's he's really good on the analytics of of the game. Yeah, uh, and he he seems to think that they're they're better suited to playing in Europe than they are domestically. Maybe where they have to have more of the ball yeah. and dictate a lot more of the tempo. Yeah, um, but you know that's up to them to to work out a way to. To make it work because you've you've got to you've got to win domestically as well. It's the nature of of Glasgow, mm-hmm. probably more than many most other cities in the world, that the two of them will always be compared to one another. Yeah. And as you mentioned before, Celtic come in there with a huge advantage, mm-hmm. big head start on Rangers, and and Stephen Gerrard has has I, th- I think Neil Lennon has taken Celtic up. Yeah. Stephen Gerrard has probably got Rangers closer than what they were two years ago, undoubtedly. Yeah. Uh, and and they've been able to beat Celtic for a start and they've been able to win at Celtic Park. Yeah. So they're getting closer. Whether they can whether they can bridge it, uh, that's that remains to be seen. It's not going to happen this year. Celtic are, are on their way to, to nine in a row uh, and Rangers are out of the Scottish Cup. There's been a lot of talk around Gerrard's future. That, I mean, this past weekend... Do you and I, I seen someone saying yesterday about they think Ger- and it was a Rangers fan. He said, "I think Gerard will resign after that performance on Saturday." Do you see that happening? I I don't think it's in Stephen Gerrard's nature to like he he has he's got a winning mentality, and it was interesting. I I I don't think it's in his nature just to to resign from the problem and and wash his hands of it. Uh, I think he'll. I would have thought he would see it as a challenge to to get better. Mm-hmm. I think probably coming out after the Hearts game, emotion is still really, really raw. And also, his comments were very interesting, but there was enough ambiguity around it to not be 100, 100% certain that he was talking about his own future. So he said, I think, I'll take 24, 48 hours to mm-hmm. look at this, or to, to look at the, the, the situation. And then talked about you know I I I'm a winner. My coaching staff are winners. Mm-hmm. And when I when I look from the sidelines today, mm-hmm. I didn't see winners within that. So I've got a lot to think about. So whether that means do I want to be a part of this, mm-hmm. or is he looking at the summer? Which of these players do I think have the same ambition that I do? So a lot of people took it as oh he's going to resign in forty eight hours, or he's certainly thinking about his future. Mm-hmm. I thought it could well be that, but it could also be, is he looking at 
X number of players and thinking, okay, I signed them, they're not what I thought they were, probably mentally as much as physically. I think there there are a few players that he, he, he might have doubts over. I mean, Tavernier is his captain and he's been a loyal, you know, player to Rangers and he's when he first came in, um, you know, he, he did well for Rangers, but he's he's received a lot of criticism lately. And then I think for the goal on Saturday when I watched the highlights, I think he mistimed a header or misplaced a header when the ball went over. I, I you know, I think that's he might be one of the players that he's looking at. But then from that point of view, he's like, can you sell your captain? That's that would be my. Well, and he'll obviously be a. You don't get the armband without being a, an important player in the in the dressing room. James Tavernier is obviously he's undoubtedly a, a talented player and a big contributor for Rangers. The number of goals, maybe not so much this season, but over his career with Rangers, goals and assists is huge because yeah. they they fire balls in from deep, from Tavernier and Barisic, yeah. and Morelos is on the shoulders. It's. It's it's the perfect one because they play with the the narrow tens and Kent and Hadji at the moment. Yeah. That gives those two out wide space, and they like to get the ball in really quickly. And the number of goals that come come from that for Rangers is is huge. Yeah. And you're if you were to repl- try to replace that, you'd need to spend a lot of money. So, I think James Tavernier is obviously an important figure in the dressing room, which can be as valuable. And probably what they need to find is a way to get his confidence back because when if a player's getting continuously criticised for mistakes then it, it it will affect it would be like you and I if you, if somebody was continually berating you for the way that you're performing at your job I wouldn't get better some players do some players are like or some people are like well I'll, I'll show him I'm maybe it takes personalities that that's what man management is all about for, yeah. for a manager is to work out how best to deal with players in different situations some of them you know it's that old somebody needs an arm around somebody to kick up the backside yeah. mentality do you think Steven Gerrard can stop 10 in a row uh, the summer is really big for Rangers mm-hmm. um, this season I think shows that over the piece they've still got quite a lot of ground to make up yeah. we're, we're sitting here this morning it's at 12 points Celtic have got one trophy in the bag, the league is on its way, and Rangers are out the other cup. Yeah. So when you look at that, then then you would you would probably say no, but at the same time, Rangers have shown in two old firm games this season that they are well, they beat them at Celtic Park and, yeah. and they deserve to. And the League Cup on another day, on most other days, Rangers win that game. On chances created, yeah. that was Rangers' game. So they've shown that in in the last two against against Celtic that that they can be the better team. Yeah. So they can raise their game to a level where they they can be better than Celtic. Mm-hmm. But whether they can do that on a consistent basis, they can do it on a one off, and they can have a they had a very good first half of the season, undoubtedly, yeah. but. It's then, it's then doing it on a consistent basis and making sure that when they come back in the winter break, mm-hmm. that they don't do what they've done the last two seasons, which, uh, you know, their season is 
come hit the buffers two years in a row. Yeah. We did their uh, last season, we did their game down at Rugby Park. Mm-hmm. When they came back, and, and there was so much confidence with Rangers after they'd beaten Celtic and uh, Ibrox yeah. in the, the game before the break, and they came back, they played a cup game, and then they went to Rugby Park and they lost. Yeah. And all that momentum was gone, and it happened again this, this year with the uh, with the the loss at Hearts, and then since then there's they've drawn with Aberdeen and the, you know they've lost to Hearts in the cup, they've yeah. lost at Rugby Park again. So uh, when you when you look at it, it uh, you would have to say Celtic will start as as big favourites again. They, they've they've got a group of players Celtic who've gone over the piece. They they know how to how to win championships. Yeah. No. So, you, so you put them as favourites. A big thing might be, do they hang on to Edward in the summer? I've seen um, an article today um, and it was, uh, I can't put any as if I, I know it to be true, but um, uh, it was an article to say that Celtic are in talks with Edward Edward about <laughs> his contact, uh, about his contract and to try and st- Drive or like steer off any any interest, and you know for me and I think from a lot of tweets I've seen on Twitter is people are saying to Celtic, break the financial structure that you have for one season, do it for ten in a row and keep Edward offering what he wants, and according to that article today, that's what that's what Celtic are are looking to do. Whether or not it's it's true, I don't know. As you know, a article Celtic what's said in an article doesn't really do it for Celtic. Celtic tend to do something different, um, which I tend to notice. I, I think Celtic Celtic will be desperate to to get him on better terms. And he's he's been here eighteen months as a Celtic player. Yeah. Because obviously the first first season he was on loan. Others given given the way that he's he's kicked on, like he's a much better player than he was eighteen months ago. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. given Given the others in that time, a lot of other players have signed new contracts. And even though he's got a long time on his, he's still got another two years after this one on his deal. Yeah. I just wonder, you know, maybe why they've not found an agreement already. Maybe he, I'd, I have no, this isn't on any insider knowledge. I yeah. wonder if he's thinking, you know, I'll maybe I'll do three. Four years in Scotland, I'll you know signed a contract and then maybe maybe move on. Yeah, because it might be a case that if if and rightly so, fans and the club I think would break the bank to keep him. Yeah. Uh, whether whether he wants to, he, he seems pretty happy to be honest. Yeah. Um, it seems like a man of few words. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's very he's very chilled out. Um, I would find it amazing if Celtic went into what looks likely to be a ten in a row season mm-hmm. without him. Yeah. Because even if they sell him, it, you know, that that's gonna be thirty million plus. Yeah. Easy. Even without that, whoever they're gonna bring in It's not gonna be good enough. For me. Thirty million like I I don't think they they wouldn't spend that on one player no. anyway. They they they'd maybe go out and buy a ten million pound striker. Yeah, ten million in most markets is isn't guaranteeing you a top, a top class player. Yeah, so they got one for nine million in Edward, and I I, he, I think I think he'll be here next season. Yeah, I 
whether, hope whether so. he lasts beyond that, because the, the thing is, if Celtic then take it to the next summer, yeah, and and let's say they deliver ten in a row, maybe then they think, well, well, he goes that summer, but with only a year left in his contract, he's not got so much value. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think the idea will be to sign him up for a bumper deal, give him another couple of years. On the contract, but when it comes to after the ten in a row season, if Celtic have done it, they'll they'll sell them for mega money, and well, who knows what will happen? That's that's my view. I I always think this with because they got themselves into you know, this whole situation with Musa Dembele at the end was was all pretty nasty. Yeah, I've always I've always thought, and 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 last summer as well with Cham, it's you know there were a few you know there was that article that he did. Mm-hmm. I always think with. With the younger players that have come through the youth system, it's maybe a bit different because they're sort of ingrained in the Celtic way and, and it's always been their ambition to get to the first team. I think with maybe the the guys who come in yeah, and with Celtic, they've got a really good contingent of really talented French players, French-speaking players, yeah. um, that are there for their careers. Yeah. Let's be honest. And Moussa Dembele was the same. He was brought by... Brendan Rodgers because he knew that he had a he had a really good player that could improve to another level mm-hmm. and that he could he could sell for really good profit. Yeah, I always think, and a lot of other leagues do it, and some of them have ridiculous levels of it. But if they'd said to Musa Dembele, right, here's a a minimum fee release clause mm-hmm. in your contract if if a club or a club from a certain league or a certain standing come in with a bid over twenty million then we'll accept it. Yeah. And then you get round this whole problem of you know, the club rejecting a bid, player wants to move, mm-hmm. and you get a standoff between them. If you've got an arranged figure that you can probably, you maybe have a review of it six months later. Yeah. So if the player does particularly well, you say, well, you signed and we, and we thought 10 million, you're doing really well. Look, let's increase your wages, but that goes up to 20 million. Yeah. I think that would avoid any of these Problems, but so far I, I've not heard of any bids for Edward. Yeah. So th- there's 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 interest. I know he's been scouted, but yeah. I mean there's scouts at every game. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, VAR was used in the Europa League on Thursday and the previous Thursday. Would you like to see that brought into Scottish football? Yes, but not in the way they've done it down south. Yeah. I think I think that they've got themselves into a bit of bother. Yeah, with it, it's 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 almost in a way like they've refused to take the things that other leagues have learned. Yeah, from from their early years, every every league has struggled with it at the beginning, and and then they they find what works. England, for some reason, haven't. It doesn't seem like they've looked at other leagues and yeah. and seen what works and what doesn't. They've just gone with their way of doing it. And it, it's but it's starting to get a bit better. Yeah. I think when you look at the Europa League games, it you got you got the two correct decisions. Yeah, I, I don't agree with the Christie one, but mm. I think that's a rule problem. That's yeah. not a VAR problem. Yeah, uh, and then the one on Thursday night. Although I think even giving the Christie one, he shouldn't have been booked for it. But yeah. that's a different matter. Uh, the one on Thursday night. It was absolutely spot on. The ref should have spotted it in the first place. Yeah. But the, given that he didn't, that's what it's there for. It's exactly. To, it's to correct clear and obvious error, which I, in England, they're, they're, they're at the stage now where players are 
not sure about celebrating a goal. They're taking that's taken that passion away from it. Yeah. That's because they're analysing it to the millimeter. I, I don't I don't think that it should be that. Mm-hmm. I, I've only worked on well three VAR games. The first one was Newcastle Leicester, yeah. which I didn't come into play, and then the um, the two Copenhagen Celtic games, yeah. of which it did its job. Yeah, and it, it did it really well. Um, that's one thing I noticed, and it was quick um, as well. Um, I think from the England point of view, is they've got the screens down there. Why not just look at them? Yeah, it it doesn't. It's like I don't I don't know I can't it just doesn't it defies belief that they they refuse to look at the screens well, to take another official's opinion I feel sorry for the referees because they don't they don't even get to see it they're just being told by a guy at Stockley Park yeah you were wrong it's offside or it's a penalty yeah and and he just has to has to go along with it he doesn't get another look to say. Uh, yeah, actually, I, I was wrong initially. So is is that an FA thing then, or is that just the referees themselves deciding we're not going to look at the screen, or is it an FA thing where they're like, no, you you not, just hear the guy, you don't look at the screen? I'm not sure. I would have thought it's probably the Premier League that are in charge of it, but I would, yeah. you would assume that they're all in consultation with the referees to find the best solution for it you're a big Scotland fan I've noticed that on Twitter and I've noticed it talking to you today do you think Scotland will qualify for the Euros honestly no why uh, I think uh, although I'm not 100% confident we should get past Israel given that they were in our group and we beat them but yeah. uh, but that's that's no gimme they're, they're not a bad side and We've not got that many players that are absolutely firing. Yeah. You know, a few coming back from injuries, a few injuries picked up at the weekend, which is not great with the the centre backs. Yeah, Suter and McKenna. Whether I mean McKenna, I think would have played Suter. I'm not so sure. I think McKenna would have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then, <laughs> I I don't like the way that I thought the the Nations League was great. Mm-hmm. It was it was really it was much better than going to friendlies. That just I've, I've always found friendly is a waste of time never yeah. enjoyed them I thought the Nations League worked really well I don't like the way they've done the playoffs I don't think it's right yeah um, given that you know we, we were we were the number one seeds uh, essentially coming out of the group yeah uh, and we've ended up with what is potentially an away final against another right. team yeah. for that to be drawn out of a hat and to ask us to and this is assuming you beat Israel that's that. That's it's not a fifty-fifty game. I'd put it slightly in our favour, but but not hugely. Maybe sixty-forty. Um, to go to let's take let's take Serbia first. Yeah, Belgrade is not a place Scotland are <laughs> go and win. No, you know those those tough European play, Eastern European places. <sighs> I was in Croatia when we won in Zagreb actually, but. I w- I think it would be very very difficult to go to Serbia and win. Yeah. And then Norway Norway's home <laughs> record is sensational, and you look at the way that Erling Holland yeah. is playing right now. And oh. I, I think I think uh, the weekend was his first his first home league game since something like November twenty eighteen. It was back to his Molde days yeah. uh, that he hadn't scored in a home league game. This season, the only home games he hasn't scored in 
were Dortmund at the weekend, yeah. which he came on in the 63rd minute. Uh, uh, Norway against Malta, which yeah. they won 2-0. And uh, Salzburg against Liverpool in the Champions League. Scored yeah. in every other home game that he's played. That's sensational. Mental. And the... his record at Dortmund, but since he's moved there, he's yeah. just sensational. So, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be putting any money down on Scotland, but... Yeah. As you say, like I'm a massive Scotland fan. I don't. I'm not generally pessimistic. Yeah. Uh, I I do like to sort of see the positives, but I'm struggling. I'm going, although we don't know where. Yeah. Or if we're going to Israel against Serbia, it might be. Yeah. <laughs> so we've 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 booked flights to Vienna, and then we'll see from there. What happens? We might lose to Israel, and then we just have a couple of days in Vienna. Yeah. But we'll see. The thought of uh, Haaland running at Scott McKenna or Charlie Mulgrew g- gives me nightmares. Uh, it doesn't bode well uh, for us. But I think because I'm a big club football enthusiast for me and people will get on my back and people have got on my back and maybe rightly so, is I would prefer because from the European point of view is if Celtic, if Scotland get to the Euros, Scotland players... Celtic players are at the Euros and that means Celtics or well yeah Celtic and I suppose Rangers and Aberdeen every other Scottish club that's competing in Europe will have a sort of tougher task to advance further so for me it's a bit of a it's a catch 22 yeah I I, I mean I I see what you mean Um, I think I just think you want to see see your your teams at at major tournaments, it's yeah. been it's been far too long for for Scotland to to not be involved in a in a major tournament. Yeah, I mean, it, if we were to qualify, it would be just typically Scotland yeah. that we would qualify, and the games are at Hamden. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> or, or qualify for the next World Cup, and it's a dry state that's hosting it. No, definitely. Um, I think if Scotland did qualify, I I would still be on holiday when Scotland play England I think it'd be my last day on holiday when Scotland beat England uh, sorry, face oh that'll do that'll do (laughs) (laughs) Um, right three three more questions Um, in all your time commentating on football who's been your favourite co-commentator I I mean yeah I've had I've had good ones I I would say um, I've got to say Chris Sutton don't I yeah Um, I'll pick you up for that if you don't (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, and because Chris is the one that I've that I've worked with the most, uh, and we've done all my European games with BT have been with Chris. Mm-hmm. So you know you're you're traveling away with with people, and and I like like I said before, he he keeps you on your on your toes, and I enjoy I quite I enjoy that yeah. that challenge. It's maybe it's maybe not like I've probably got a, a more natural relationship with Michael Stewart and. Stephen Craig and, yeah. and Andy Walker that work with at Sky a lot, um, but yeah, Chris is good fun to work with. We've had like th- those European trips are are good fun and yeah, um, yeah. yeah was, so. was it true that um, in St Petersburg with the Zenit Gate? Is it true that he walked across a, a frozen river? Someone told me that they seen Chris Sutton walking across a frozen river or something. Yeah, yeah. It was it was minus eighteen in St Petersburg and the. The river just became a walkway. Oh. I think he did his pre-match uh, sort of preview on 
on the river. On the river, oh. Yeah, there there will be a there'll be a photo of it somewhere. He's wearing like a a big Russian hat. Yeah, a braver man than me. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could commentate in one club derby match in the whole world, right? So not not restricted to Scottish football. What would it be? Oh, commentate. I mean, I mean. A Glasgow Derby is is up there. I've done I've done a couple of them, so that I would so I would always look at it as what's the biggest games in world football, mm-hmm. uh, and I always think Glasgow sticks out, mm-hmm. Istanbul, but the one if I was wanting to go to, which I therefore guess commentate on, would be Buenos Aires for Boca River. Yeah, would, would I think I I don't think you can really beat that. I think those are. Those are probably maybe Athens. There are certain derbies that really stick out. I'll have missed. I'll have missed some, but I think there are certain cities that really lend themselves to just big, ferocious derbies where the yeah. entire city is just engrossed in what is going on. I've done some great Edinburgh derbies. Yeah, but uh, yeah, let's go Buenos Aires. That would be a good trip. <laughs> and uh, what's the best football ground that you've commentated in? I, I think as a, as a structure, uh, probably probably the one in St Petersburg actually because yeah. they they just built that for the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, I think it was the most expensive, expensively constructed football stadium in the world. So it, it was cool. The atmosphere maybe wasn't as good as it could have been if it was full. Because I think their their ultras section had been banned. They've been closed off, so yeah. it was maybe a wee bit quieter than than it could have been. Some some of the Europa League games, like I think Leipzig would have been really cool as well, but yeah. it was maybe half full. Yeah, um, Rome was the same. Like, I mean, I, I've I've been to the Olympico for rugby before when yeah. it was full, and the atmosphere is incredible. Yeah. It was great for the Lazio game, but it, it was half full. full. Yeah, um, and oh, sorry, did I? I don't think I'll let it. Did I give you? Did I give you a chance to say your answer? Oh yeah, you did. Sorry. Well, yeah, I said I said St Petersburg. Um, I, it's uh, whenever I get asked that question, I always think of the foreign grounds. And, yeah. But there are great grounds in Scotland. I, I think Tynecastle's a great ground to commentate at. All, all, fans always say it. They like going there. It's, it's tight. It's steep. Yeah. You're you're really close to the to the opposition fans. You're really close to the players. And you're right on top of the action as well. Yeah. So then it's the same kind of question. What's the best rugby stadium or venue that you've commentated in? Mm, to commentate in, it's a lot more limited because I have I do Glasgow and Edinburgh all the time. So you do Scotston and Murrayfield with yeah. a few thousand people in it. But I've done Scotland games at Murrayfield. I did them in the summer uh, with 67,000. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. Um and then I've done a game down at the Liberty in Swansea. Yeah. So my, so my, actually the rugby stadiums that I've commentated at uh, is actually a really small sample. Uh, I've been to a lot. Yeah. Well, um, and the best by an absolute mile was uh, just in the World Cup there, went over to Japan, yeah. and we were at the Japan-Scotland uh, game in Yokohama, and it was, un- it was one of the best atmospheres, football, rugby, any sport that I've ever experienced, it was phenomenal. Well, they, and the atmosphere is different. Yeah, they interact differently. I, I don't know. 
I don't know what it is. I think maybe in Europe it's a bit more tribal. Yeah. Um, and you, you get your ultra sections. I would say, from my experience, or maybe watching from, like, like you say, the 2002 World Cup and then being over there for the, the Rugby World Cup, and obviously rugby atmospheres are going to be different, but it seems more that the, the entire ground's in unison. Yeah. Or they're reacting to other parts of the ground, um, which you sometimes see here. Celtic, Celtic have got a good one when they point to all the, the different corners. and. What's next for you then with BT Sport losing the rights to Scottish football? What, what, what's next? Have you got any plans that you can tell us about? Uh, I mean, the, the, the plan will be right now uh, to continue what I'm doing with Premier Sports because yeah. they, they pick up the Betfred Cup and they've got the Scottish Cup, and I uh, still do the um, the Pro 14 rugby with them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, BT have still got the, the European football for next season. Yeah. So that's big. Uh, so BT's given me a really, it's, it's a great grounding and a great three years of experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that that can continue, hopefully, if they select me, yeah. um, is... Like I, I, I really hope that I can. Um, they're a great organisation to work for, and out with that. I don't. I'm, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I've, I've probably got to make a few phone calls and and, and try and meet some important people. But yeah, we'll see what happens. No worries. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Um, you've been our very first guest, so I, I really do appreciate that. Um. Just for anybody out there that's listening, that's that's new and does it, just you know they're not on Twitter or anything. They want to go onto Twitter. Um, it's just a chance for you to basically promote your Twitter. What's your Twitter account? Uh, it's at Hamilton Rory. I'll get up. That's Interact. Fine. Be nice. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no worries. Well, thank you so much, Rory. Well, there we go. That's the first episode of Day Stefano Talks locked in. It's done. It's um, th- this is our building block. This is where we we go from here. And um, we have some fantastic guests uh, to come on the show over the next coming months. And I, I absolutely cannot wait um, to let you hear all the episodes. I hope you have enjoyed this episode, the inaugural episode with my good friend Rory Hamilton. Um, I want to say a massive thank you to you, um, to Rory, for coming onto the podcast, meeting me in person and putting up with my absolutely horrendous patter. If you know me in real life, you know my patter's not that good, so the fact that Rory stayed for over an hour with me and put up with my uh, 23 questions, then, you know, um, I, I can't thank him enough. Um, especially considering I've, I've done multiple interviews uh, with multiple different people, this has certainly been one of the most enjoyable ones, if not the most enjoyable one so yes a massive thank you to Rory and as we said on the podcast uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Rory and you can follow him on Twitter at Hamilton Rory um, while you're over there you could also go and give me a wee follow at Mr Stefan Carlin um, and you can also follow the official podcast Twitter at Stefano Talks and the same links apply for Instagram at Stefano Talks and uh, at Mr Stefan Carlin uh, before I go I have two more things I just want to quickly discuss 
I have in the last 40 and yes in the last 40 hours I have been named as the new sports editor for the student newspaper called the Strathclyde Telegraph. If you're a student at Strathclyde uh, then keep an eye out on it because I am now in charge of the sports section and we're, we're going to do a lot, a lot of things with it this year. Um, so yes keep an eye out for that and if you're not a student at Strathclyde then it will be online so you can go and have a, a wee look online and see what we're all about uh, other than that I just want to say I'm looking forward um, to hearing any feedback on this episode I am also looking forward to hearing um, you know what, what you thought about it, uh, was it any good did my voice annoy you, was it an hour and, and about 18 minutes too long yeah just let me know, Twitter uh, Instagram, you, you know what you can do, you can do it on there and um, I just want to say that I am absolutely buzzing to uh, publish episode 2 but that will be out on the 10th of April um, is the date. If anything changes, then my Twitter accounts and Instagram accounts and oh yeah, sorry, we're on Facebook. Uh, De Stefano Talks, just search it on Facebook, you'll find us. We need a bit of a following over there. So yeah, if you're on Facebook, do it there as well. But yeah, as I say, any new information um, about the podcast will be on my social medias. So yes, uh, that is it for the episode. I hope you have all enjoyed it, as I've already said, and I will see you again next time.